Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the first episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. First episode of 2024. Yay! Yay! 2024! It already feels like, I don't know about other folks, but as Emily knows, my 2023 wasn't great. And so I am so excited for 2024. How about you, Emily? What are your excitements for the new year? I feel filled with potential. Happy to leave last year behind. It was a year full of a lot of learning for a lot of people I know. And so Mm -hmm. I'm ready to put that all into a little bit of action. And how does those feelings about 2024 meld with the first week of the session since the legislature is back at the state house now? Yeah, we are on, today will be day three. We kicked Mm -hmm. off on Wednesday for the first day of the session. Things already feel like in full motion it's kind of wild yes Um, (laughs) I was gonna ask you about that (laughs) yes like both personally I feel like you know at some point yesterday I was like oh wow everyone's like exactly being themselves already like we've completely settled into our old patterns like a dysfunctional family and also it seems like very clear what the priorities are going to be what the disagreements are going to be, where sort of areas of struggle might emerge. And it feels like we're going to, you know, be able to get a lot done because the priorities do feel very, very clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was impressed that as of day two, the House had already overridden one of Governor Scott's veto from last session, mm-hmm. which you could do because this is the second half of a biennium. So it's instead of having to start from scratch, you could pick up where you left off from 2023. I don't know that I've ever known of a veto override that early in the session. Well, it's funny, you know, I'm a person who when I like go out of town for, you know, a couple of days, whether it's to come up here or go away for the weekend to visit a friend, I like tend to really like to clean my whole house before I leave, you know, and like make sure that like sink is empty and the garbage is taken out, even if I'm like just going away for a day or two. And I don't know why, but that's just, you know, it's the kind of it's nice attempted to tidy to. person I am. <laughs> yes. And it's a very interesting thing because, you know, sometimes you can't do that because you're running late and you're rushing out the door and all those things. And the last week of a session in the middle of a biennium, like the last week of the first session in a biennium, you just get as much done as you possibly can. And then the calendar, which is essentially sort of like the things that are available for action, is just sitting there waiting for you when you get back. (laughs) And so even though like they might be somewhat distant memories because it's been, you know, a few months since you thought about them. And so we walk into the building and, you know, the veto of the bottle bill is sitting on the calendar waiting for us to make a decision about it. Mm -hmm. And some bills that we had moved along and were ready, but then last minute compromises caused another bill to be the bill that moved instead, right? That's still just sitting on the calendar. So it's a it's an interesting process. So yes, we overrode the governor's veto on the bottle bill. I don't know, have we talked about the bottle bill on the show before? We have. We haven't done a full show devoted to it, okay. but we have definitely mentioned it. I remember you mentioning some of the conversations you've had from trash haulers around recycling yes. the bottle bill. Yeah. So we overrode the veto on the bottle bill, which essentially, you know, expands the types of bottles that are eligible for redemption and sets up like a 
more functional system for the folks who collect the um for the redeemers like the redemption mm -hmm. centers to be able to do something with those bottles once they have them and what is my sentence olga let me think it's been it's already it's only been two days but it's, it's okay been well a, so what you think so far. I will just remind folks, because I forgot to tell people who might be tuning in for the first time, that Emily is one of three reps from the town of Brattleboro. <laughs> she is currently sitting in Montpelier right now, and she is the chair of the Ways and Means Committee. And so we'll also be talking taxes in this episode, because I have a couple of questions about your committee and something mm -hmm. you said last week when the Speaker of the House was on the show. Great. So bottle bill mm -hmm. it sort of passed a number of times the governor's vetoed we overrode the veto it was an overwhelming vote all democrat and a couple of republic progressives and a couple of republicans voted to override the veto which is mm. very very unusual and i think we've talked about this on the show before but just like it's a little bit of inside baseball but usually a bill itself, the vote on the original vote on the bill, so second or third reading of a vote on a bill, can be very mixed, not partisan lines, even mm -hmm. partisan issues. There's usually like one or two people who vote on the other side for various reasons related to their districts or their life or whatever. But usually with a veto override, like strict partisan lines, it's about like the power of That's the chamber, the power of the party. It is not about the issue anymore. Mm -hmm. But a number of Republicans voted to override the veto. And it was really interesting to see where they were from and what they were from, because the money from the bottle bill, the extra money goes towards the clean water fund. And so there were All a right. couple Republicans who have like real needs for the clean water fund and clean, making sure there's a strong clean water fund in their districts mm -hmm. who voted for it. And then there's also this really interesting thing in Vermont where Casella, this one company, controls a huge amount of the waste hauling but mm -hmm. not everywhere. And so the areas of the state that Casella controls or has a monopoly in had sort of solid Republican votes, but the areas, because they're major contributors to Republican campaigns, or maybe because they have good relationships with them because they do a good job. I don't, you know, I don't know. All the above, probably. All the above. <laughs> and then sort of like, you know, in our Southern band, we don't tend to have that Casella monopoly. We right. tend to have smaller trash haulers. And so we saw a bunch of, a couple of Republicans in Bennington County also vote for the bottle bill because our redemption centers down here have really asked for it and the trash rollers down here have asked for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Congratulations having moved that forward so quickly. Mm -hmm. No, it still needs to go to the Senate and they need to do their process. So we'll see where this actually goes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was impressed. You you got in a veto override. Day two. Lickety split. Day two. We also are going to likely pass overdose prevention centers out of the house on week two. I See think that, that is scheduled. I didn't quite catch that. The what centers? Overdose prevention centers. Oh, cool. Yeah, which we talked about with David Mickenberg and Daniel Quip a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago. Yeah. And so okay. that is likely going to happen on week two. It's scheduled for a vote out of the appropriations committee. And that's another thing that was sort of like sitting on the calendar, essentially. Like it was voted out of the human services committee, but the appropriations committee wasn't able to get it out in time last year. Okay. Well, that I look forward to seeing where that bill goes and yeah. as it moves through the rest of the process. Now, remind folks, Emily, is this the first session where since COVID that we're completely in person 
or was last session last whatever? session we were completely in person i think we first, we started the session masked maybe okay but i'm not even sure about that actually we were definitely fully in person last year i think i uh, you know we'll go time covid blew time like out of the, yeah out of the water yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do I have like some vague memory of reading something from some digger reporter that being saying like there's not nothing actually magical and special about this session anymore like last session was the first one you know back in person and this you know yeah in some ways you know we the ARPA money has been allocated we're not wearing masks second year of a biennium so there's no new people and so like in some ways this is like we're just doing people's business this year. How exciting. Yeah. Does that excite you? <laughs> to just do the people's business? Yeah, it is kind of <laughs> exciting. Yeah. I'm always curious, Emily, we're going into an election year. I've heard that. Yes. And uh, <laughs> it, it's been floating around a little bit, especially those of mm -hmm. us who live near New Hampshire have been hearing about it. What are your thoughts in this first week about the work you do and coming back to the work you do and why you keep coming back to it? Well, it is seven o'clock in the morning and those are some big philosophical questions you're asking me. Let me see what I can do here. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you get me up at five and you give me coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like just, you know, every day it feels just as important. And one thing I was very aware of this last off session is that as I have more responsibilities in the legislature, you know, over the course of the five years that I've been in, I have less time to be at community meetings. Hmm. And this last year I was really, I was able to show up, you know, and also it was just like the pandemic, everything was, on, you know, there are more community meetings now. So I was able to be, you know, out and about a lot this summer and fall. And I just feel really aware that like all the reasons I ran for office are still exactly there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've made progress on all of them, but these are big issues. You know, people are still struggling to make it work in their lives to just like make life work. And people feel really disconnected from the political process. And I'm still really holding this very idealistic vision that we can put, you know, social infrastructure in place so that Vermont can work for all of us and not just the select few. Mm -hmm. And that this isn't just going to be, you know, this won't be a playground for tourists. It will be a place where people are living and thriving. And that this like hope and dream that we all realize when we're like bringing soup to our neighbors is something that we're doing to build rather than react. And that still really feels possible to me. And it still feels possible to me to talk about all of this super wonky political stuff in a way that actually makes sense for people's lives. Mm -hmm. But I do realize that like the more I do it, the more the language of it becomes real to me. Mm. Um, and so I'm really actually grateful for this show because talking to you every week and talking to our listeners every week really like settles me into my body and the reality of my community and how to talk like a normal person. And 
unpack the stories so I'm not caught up in them. Yes. Well, thank you for, for that. Cause one of the things I think that is very amazing about this show is you and I keep showing up and <laughs> there's been some weeks when we're both tired and we don't want to, and we do. And I am grateful for that because when I think of all the interesting people in Vermont and all the interesting conversations and all the interesting stories, I'm very grateful that we get to be a part of all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And me I too. hope, I hope we move the needle on things from time to time. <laughs> I do too. I also want to say, you know, one of the funny things, you know, this is my sixth year doing this, doing the show with you, being a legislator, all of those things. And as you know, I've been there long enough that I've gotten to see new people come into the political process and whether that's legislators or staff or lobbyists. And that's also like very renewing to see people's fresh hopes and fresh dreams and fresh energy to tackle these really tough stuff. And one thing that's been really fun this year is, and a little bit last year is some bills that I sponsored in my first couple of years mm -hmm. that's, you know, sparked conversations, but not necessarily action. I've seen like the understanding of them evolve. New people are sponsoring them who in some ways, in some cases didn't even know that I sponsored those bills six years ago. Huh. And they're sort of like getting more conversation now because the narrative has shifted a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so that feels really exciting too. Like I can actually, you know, we've talked before about like how we're living in historic times and we can like sort of see and feel history happening in a way that I don't know is always true. And I really feel that in the legislature as well. Mm. Oh, wow. Fascinating. Well, it's a good reminder of just because things are moving slowly doesn't mean they're not changing. And the patience that is sometimes involved in changing uh, policy. Mm -hmm. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, I do want to talk about Scott's State of the State Address in I the second wait. half. Yeah. <laughs> of yeah. the show. I'm sure you can't. But before we do, I want to talk a little bit about your committee, Ways and Means, which deals with taxes. When we were talking to Jill Krowinski last week about some of the priorities for mm -hmm. the legislative session, one thing you said about your committee is you wanted to work on tax justice. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to unpack that a little bit. You know, how do you define that? What would that look like in policy? Are there policies on the wall now or coming down the, the pike that you feel would be representative of, of tax justice? Can we pause for one second? Because I think I'd love to read about that. Oh, sure. I'll be right back. Okay. Sorry, video listeners. <laughs> we do record yeah, this I've been like it's about... live. <laughs> What? We do record this like it's live. So you, you we just do as they play we out. Do indeed. Yes. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about sort of what it means, what the, we talk, I talk about this all the time, what the point of taxes are. But I found this sort of description of a value system around taxes actually from a different state that I've been thinking about a lot. Can I just read it out loud? Oh, sure. Because this sure. is what tax justice means to me. And then I can sort of talk about it. So progressivity. Tax policies should ensure Vermonters with more income and wealth contribute a larger share of the resources to support the common good than those with less. Adequacy. Tax and revenue policies must raise enough re revenue to fund the public structures that create opportunity for all Vermonters, not just the select few. Equity. 
as in many other areas of public policy, tax policy has at times fostered inequitable outcomes based on race, ethnicity, gender, and LGBTQ status. New policies should remove these barriers and inequities and advance Vermonters' economic opportunity. And viability. Tax policy must have a viable path towards enactment in the legislature and be defendable. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So when we think about progressivity, for instance, but I think it's true in all these categories, there is how we actually structure the tax policy. So making sure that the percentages of, if we use the income tax, for example, the percentage of income that is sort of set in the structure is, you know, folks with more pay more and folks with less pay less because the folks with more are more able to and have more resources to give towards the common good. But, and so that's a piece of tax justice, but then there's also how we structured it in such a way that those with more resources are more able to get out of those responsibilities, right? Mm -hmm. So a very practical example of this not related to tax policy is historically the draft, wealthy families could buy their children's, could buy their way out of the draft, Mm -hmm. buy their son's way out of the draft right? And earlier in America, that was like quite concrete. It was, you could actually just like pay a poor man to serve your time for you, right? Yes. In the draft. And then in more contemporary times, say Vietnam, you could buy your way into an activity that would allow you to avoid the draft, say mm-hmm. college, right? And similarly, that exists in tax policy, right? You can pay for wealth advisors that help you through all of these loopholes that have built out and lower income people can't pay for that, right? So that's a piece of tax justice. And then do people know to file? So we have this like amazing set of child tax credits or earned income tax credits in Vermont, which really, and the income adjustment on property taxes and the rental rebate. We have these policies that really are setting up our tax structure so that lower income people are getting a lot of money back at the end of the year or have less of a responsibility or liability for their taxes. But if folks don't know about that, and maybe they aren't even filing because Mm -hmm. they feel so left out of the system or marginalized by the system, then that's not working. And so tax justice isn't just like setting up the structures. It's also making sure the structures are working for all Vermonters, not just the select few. Mm -hmm. So that's one piece. And then in sort of like the racial inequality historical context, we are doing work to sort of modernize the system. So there's a lot of questions around how, a lot of research around how married filing jointly status benefits white wealthy families over middle-class black families. Hmm. A lot of national research on that. So like, how do we set up our tax bracket so they don't benefit some racial groups over others? Mm -hmm. Or our appraisal system, we did reform on that last year to make sure that we were removing racial bias from how properties were appraised Mm -hmm. on our grand lists and then how people had to pay property taxes based on that. So that's sort of, that's what I mean by tax justice. It's like that whole bundle of things. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for unpacking that because I'm not sure that when people think of taxes, they, they think of justice in the same, the same breath. And I don't think a lot of people realize how taxes flow. Like, we realize we love them or hate them and and we will say, oh yeah, they pay for our roads or they pay for our schools, but to actually see the mechanisms at work mm-hmm. beyond just the, oh, I have to pay taxes 
is a different process. I mean, the greatest inequities and injustices in our country and in our world now and going far into the past is wealth inequality, right? Mm -hmm. And so much else comes out of that, right? Like slavery comes out, you know, whatever, so much there. Mm -hmm. And taxes are the most effective policy tool to do something about that. Mm. How exciting. Now, so what are some of the... <laughs> we, so for your so generous, committee... Olga. What's that? No, You're so I, generous with your excitement. You know, I'm, I'm a nerd when it comes to like, yes. how do things work? How can I break it apart and then put it back together again? So what are some of the bills on your, before your committee that might be representative of some of these issues that you're working on? Yeah. So some bills that aren't about sort of creating new revenue. Mm-hmm. that are, I would think of as sort of the tax justice work is we have a bill right now that is looking to sort of standardize how tax sale procedures happen at the municipal level. Right. So we've seen that towns have the ability right now to start the tax sale process for very, very small debts to the mm-hmm. town. Interesting. And so we've seen tax sales for like a few hundred dollars. Wow. Of tax, yeah. In some towns and sometimes do it much more than others. And then the procedures, there are folks who we find out have really large municipal tax bills, but didn't realize that they were income sensitized, could be income sensitized on their property taxes and might not even have any property tax liability if they actually just filled out some paperwork. Huh. Um, ouch that hurts yeah and so we just want to make sure that everyone has the same you know fair shake at staying in their home and paying their bills regardless of what town they live in in Vermont so that's Mm -hmm. one bill that's on our wall that we're taking up related to that thank you thank you yeah in just the the last five minutes before we head to break how about your other committee members? When you talk about tax justice, are you all on the same page or what kind of conversations come out of that? I think I would say that that's important to everyone on the committee, mm-hmm. regardless of party or region. Absolutely. I think that's why a lot of people want to be on Ways and Means. Hmm. And it does mean something different to everyone, right? A fair share means something different to everyone. A fair shake means something different to everyone. Folks in Chittenden County, I think, have a very different understanding of what, you know, a grand home is or wealth is than folks in, you know, in the rest of the state. Mm -hmm. Um, They're really just like operating in a different bracket. You know, those of us who live on the, you know, in the Connecticut River Valley on the New Hampshire border, I think have a very different sense of sort of what competition means between states, Mm -hmm. but it is something that all of us are pretty actively invested in and working towards. And that's always feels really exciting. And what I try to do in even setting up the agenda for the committee is really balance conversations around these sort of like more technical modernizing the tax code Mm -hmm. bills, like the one I just described really balancing those with the bills that are about raising revenue on behalf of sort of the needs of the other policy committees, because it allows us to keep on sort of coming back to our core beliefs around what a good tax structure is outside of some of the partisanship that can occur when we're talking about raising revenue. I love what you you said about how not everyone defines things the same way. 
like the fair shake means something different for everyone because I have a feeling when we go into our conversation about the state of the state address that that is going to be a theme. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so any last thoughts before we hear from some of our underwriters? No, I'm so excited to hear from those underwriters, Olga. Oh, I'm so glad you are. We're very grateful to our underwriters here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. If you're listening on the radio, don't touch that dial. And if you're listening on some other device, don't don't hit the space bar. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the second half of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WBW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. If you're just tuning in, I am Olga Peters, the host and producer of the Happy Hour, and I'm speaking with regular contributor Emily Kornheiser, who's one of three reps from the town of Brattleboro. And we've been very excited about the first episode of 2024 here that we are recording. And I want to thank, while we're at it, Brattleboro Community Television, who takes the video version of our show and shares it with media centers around Vermont and New England. So we thank you for the work they do there. And Emily, what do we remind Olga. listeners of? The views and opinions expressed here on the Montpelier Happy Hour are those of the host and the guests, respectively, and not the station, platform, nor employer friend. Why, thank you. So I'm sure you were sitting in the house yesterday when the governor gave his state of the state address. I watched it from my comfy chair at home with my coffee and my warm blanket, which I have to say is the best way to listen to a state of the state address. I would like some popcorn, actually, if that would be <laughs> for me the best way to listen to the state of the state. <laughs> yes, there were popcorn moments. I have to say, before we dig into some of the specifics of the governor's speech, I have to say of all the ones I've listened to from, from Governor Scott, this one was the most interesting to me. Oh my God, everyone else I've talked to has said it was the absolute worst of any of them. And so I am so curious. I didn't say best, I said interesting. <laughs> okay, I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait for your deconstruction. What surprised me is I was expecting some of the same old and we did we heard about housing and we heard about demographics and yeah, we heard about the crisis the, is this the seventh year we've heard about sixth year we've heard about demographics how how long has he been in the been in office eighth year we've heard about demographics i actually don't know how long he's been in office yeah yeah we we knew demographics was coming yeah. if you had taken bets on that that it wasn't going to be there then you lost big time and then he did talk about rising crime which mm -hmm. I think this was the first time he talked about that, which I just, I found interesting that he talked about it. And uh, I did appreciate that he acknowledged that for some people, you know, feelings of safety. And mm -hmm. I think that's something we can never forget when we're talking about how we approach criminal justice. Because there's, mm -hmm. there's those two sides. We have to make sure that people who are going through the justice system are treated fairly but I don't think we can forget about folks's uh, sense of safety, who, you mm -hmm. know, someone who has been victimized. I thought he was much more overt in his little waggle of the finger at the legislature. He always waggles his finger 
but this one to me was the most overt don't spend money you spend too much money we're going broke because of you it sounded like at times yeah, um, it was paternalistic and condescending yes yeah when he <laughs> got to i'm a realist i was like my my <laughs> i had to laugh so my stepfather who i love dearly when i call him a pessimist because he was he would say i'm a realist and i'm like yeah as as the old meme goes a realist sees the glass of water fuller than it needs to be and I think what, can I jump in or do you want to? Yes, please here? go for it. The whole idea of him describing himself as a realist and then spending the last two thirds of the speech talking about these like random bucolic scenes throughout the state of Vermont that were like, all are very nice. I am not saying like everything he described was very nice. He talked about the Christmas lights in people's yards and the white picket fences and these like five random specific businesses that happen to be thriving in various areas of the state and a bunch of people who've engaged in some very great volunteerism because Vermont is amazing at volunteerism. And then, but had no way that we were going to move from this like dark picture of all the things that were the legislature's fault to this oh, yes. bucolic vision of the And it Vermont was the legislature's is. fault in this in this narrative. Let's be clear yes. about that. <laughs> uh, in his narrative, all the bad in the first third was the legislature's <laughs> fault. And then we, with no bridge, no conversational bridge whatsoever, other than this frame that he's a realist, we move into this absolutely Norman Rockwell vision of Vermont that we, you know, should all celebrate. And there was no policy bridge of how we get and sustain this like absolutely lovely state that we live in that has all of these great qualities that we want to sustain. And like, how are you a realist if you think that like the legislature is destroying everything and we have all of these beautiful things that we need to like, it was, that was like the most bonkers part of the whole thing to me. Yes. Yeah. People should know and any guests, future guests who might be in there should know if you say to Olga, I'm a realist, it's a, you're waving a red flag in front of a bull. <laughs> I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I, I take that with such a grain of salt. There was something else. Oh, and, and Dick DeGray, local Dick DeGray yes. made, <laughs> yes, made an yes. appearance. So I, Hello, I Dick DeGray. The flowers are lovely. Yes, go ahead, honey. <laughs> I walked into the chamber yesterday for the meeting and I looked over and I was like, Dick DeGray is here sitting in the well of the house. Mm. How did he get here? What is happening? <laughs> but he was in, you know, Dick DeGray is a local person in Brattleboro who for a very long time, he's been on our select board. Um, he's very involved in municipal politics. And for mm -hmm. a very long time, he has watered the flowers on Main Street and he is retiring from his task of watering the flowers on Main Street. He's done and more than water. He's actually bought the flowers and planted the flowers. And yeah. yes, and he does that in sort of collaboration with the Downtown Business Alliance, who sort of pays for the watering truck and the flowers and all that stuff and hires assistance for him. And yeah, he was invited to the state of the state. And so, you know, that was one of the delightful bucolic pieces of the Vermont that we all believe in that the governor described in his mm -hmm. state of the state address. The well, other thing, Olga, that yes. I just had like a lovely loving you moment during the state of the state was that he referenced one of the state of the states that we read aloud this yes, summer. Yes, did. <laughs> yes. I said, we 
Yikes. I know that name. <laughs> yes. So yes. if folks, you know, if anyone listened to the state of the state and was like, who is this governor after the, you know, the big flood in the 20s that the governor was referencing yesterday, you can hear Olga and I reading that state of the state aloud mm-hmm. sometime in August, maybe. Uh, yes. And I will link yeah. to it in the show notes on okay. the podcast. Yeah. And I think along with Bill Hoff, Weeks was the one we, we liked yeah. the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was chuckling through his whole address because it, oh, sorry, I just got distracted. I have a white birch outside my window and the sun is coming up on the other side of the house. And so it's just this beautiful light show I'm getting right now. I feel very blessed. (laughs) What I just couldn't stop laughing at is, and that was probably cruel of me to laugh at, but just how much of his state of the state, I think like your committee members, used concepts and language that everyone would nod their heads at, Mm -hmm. but no one would define the same way. Yes. He keeps coming back to that crisis of affordability. And I think a lot of folks in Vermont would be like, yep, we've got affordability issues. Mm -hmm. And yet his way forward and maybe the way you would take forward or the way the speaker would take forward or the way the Senate would take forward may not be defined or prioritized or moved forward in the same way. So how do you think, Emily, the legislature is defining the the crisis of affordability? You know, and I'll just say, I I think Scott's very clear that the only way out of this crisis is to not spend money. Mm -hmm. So a really sort of clear example of the difference there is there's one option where we don't raise the fees at the agency of transportation and folks don't need to pay $5 more a year, sorry, $5 more every two years for their registration for their car. And then we have potholes on our roads because we don't have enough money to pave the roads. That's like a real deal. Like that's just like a perfect closed circle loop of our transportation fund Mm -hmm. and how much it costs (laughs) when your car gets damaged by potholes. Oh yeah. I can (laughs) afford $5 a year at the DMV. I cannot afford a one-time expense around my tire being destroyed Mm -hmm. or my alignment being messed up. Mm -hmm. For me, that's affordability. Like affordability is when the state is set up in such a way that I can live my life and I make enough money and unexpected expenses are minimized because I have consistent health care, because I am able to take time off to care for my family without losing pay at my job. Mm-hmm. And so that stability and safety that government can offer by socializing those costs, like the paving of roads, mm-hmm. instead of all of us driving four wheelers everywhere, <laughs> that for me is affordability. And there was a lot of places in the speech where he, and this is like absolutely one of his great skills as a politician for this state at this time. He talked about the need to act on climate change and the need to act on our housing crisis. 
but he has no proposals to do that. Right. And none of those things are possible without resources. Mm-hmm. I yeah. absolutely agree that we need to reform Act 250, 100%. Mm-hmm. I think we can do a lot to change Act 250, like especially in our downtown and village centers, 100%. One of the main ways we need to revise Act 250 is actually make sure that the folks who work on the permitting at the Agency of Natural Resources like have enough staff to answer the phone when someone calls them about the permits. Yes. Yeah. So these permits and, will actually move forward in a somewhat quick manner. Yeah. And if we removed all permitting, even at the federal level, we would still not have enough housing to solve our housing crisis in Vermont because mm-hmm. there are other issues at play. Yeah. When I was watching this speech, I have a number of folks in my life who really like Governor Scott. Mm-hmm. And I think they like him from what, as I understand, as they tell me he makes them feel comfortable and safe that a reasonable person is helming the ship. There are some people who call him governor dad. Yeah. I Okay. Yeah. And I could see that. Cause that he's speech. like, he masters that particular communication frame. Yeah. Yes. And I could see that in this, in the speech yesterday. I'm curious about one part of the speech that I found intriguing But I'm wondering if I only found it intriguing because I grew up in Vermont. So when he was doing that last, what, one third, two thirds, where he was talking about the bucolic Vermont and helping people, even if you don't really like them, but that's what community means. And I did appreciate him talking about community because I do feel that is something, especially after COVID, we've lost a little bit of not just in Vermont, like everywhere. You know, we spent a little too much time on Zoom and on our yoga pants. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when he got to that part about, you know, helping your your friends in your community and that type of thing, I was nodding along because as someone who grew up here, that was drilled into me. If you're driving home at night and you see someone stopped on the side of the road stuck, you help them. And yeah. if you get out of the car and you realize you hate this person, it doesn't matter because that's what you do. I'm curious, as someone who didn't grow up in Vermont, did that resonate with you? Were you like, oh, that is such an old, tired story? That's not- No, that's why I live here. That's why I live here. Like, that's, I think that's the thing that might motivate my public service the most. Like, I, what I see is that we right now have an economy that's stretched so thin that a lot of people don't even have time to show up for their neighbors or to make soup. And I absolutely, I love, you know, even on like, commercial level there are so few people doing each thing that even if I like disagree with politically you know politically with like the mechanic which I actually don't but let's say I disagree politically with my mechanic I would still go there and have conversations because like that's the mechanic like we can't isolate ourselves there's so few of us people (laughs) and so yes that absolutely resonates for me but what's interesting to me is he then tags that onto this like and we need to get rid of partisan division Mm-hmm. which I agree with. And actually the legislature internally is incredibly good at that. One of my like deepest collaborators is a Republican from the Newport area from Coventry. And like, we have a really solid working relationship with each other. One of a committee member that I collaborate with all the time on education policy is a Republican from St. Johnsbury. And I don't think like anyone in the state of Vermont will be like, Oh, Emily, she's always like walking the line. She's like not a real lefty, you know? But 
The governor absolutely does not do that. He is like, his administration is right now like refusing to even come in and testify on like basic administrative matters, let alone like budgetary issues. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he says that is lovely. I think it's incredibly resonant for all of us. I think it's why folks who, I think it's why folks stay here. I think it's why folks move here. But what he actually offers in terms of substance regarding both how his administration behaves on his instructions Mm -hmm. and what we're gonna need for the state to be able to continue doing that. is just there's a huge disconnect even the example about like people delivering meals on wheels like yes i love that we have volunteers delivering meals on wheels but his budget underfunds the actual meals for the meals on wheels and if there's no meals for the meals on wheels then no one can deliver them in his bucolic image of vermont well that was the part that i found annoying because (laughs) (laughs) again it's it's that whole thing of we may be using the same words, but defining them differently. So I totally agree with him that if we want community, we have to show up for it and we need to engage and we need to participate. But as he was going through all these examples of how we needed to engage and participate, I kept seeing the gaps like you did. I think what irked me is I felt at times like he was telling us to pick up where government wasn't going to be because that would have cost too much money. And it felt a little bit like making us take responsibility for the state budget. Like us, uh, Joe Public, Joe Mm -hmm. Public. You know, we're not going to make sure that our elders don't live in poverty. So it's your job, neighbor, to go over and give them soup. Yeah. Because, you know, so many of our elders are living in poverty. And I think one of the like further disconnects there is I think that image of Vermont is really resonant for folks because we all have so much pride in our sense of independence and our sense of codependence with each other. And, you know, we've talked a lot, you and I, Olga, about, you know, folks don't just engage with government to get state benefits because of that frame of independence and codependence. But there is a difference between government providing equally and equitably to everyone so that we have sort of the infrastructure to thrive or survive and charity. And the Mm -hmm. system he's describing is one that's dependent on charity. Right. Which to me has less, has much less dignity. And I don't think I'm the only person that feels that way. Mm -mm. I'm also, you know, there's like those heartwarming stories that go around on the social media about like, some kid like had a lemonade stand or a bake sale and like he had a lemonade stand example in his narrative and like that lemonade stand pays for the school lunch debt of their peers in elementary school have you ever seen one of those Mm -hmm. and everyone's just like oh it's so sweet the lemonade stand kid i'm like oh my god that's the most heartbreaking thing i've ever read like why do those kids have school lunch debt in the first place Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and in vermont like you know the democrats and progressives in the legislature like passed free school you know passed universal Mm -hmm. school meals for kids so like no one had to have freaking lemonade stand to pay another kid's school lunch debt and the governor would rather have the lemonade stands and like that's fine he is welcome to that political take but it's shirking duty a little bit increasingly frustrated with i'm increasingly frustrated with how much he obfuscates 
his mm-hmm. communications around that political reality of what he's actually proposing. Yes. Well, I mean, he kept talking about demographics, demographics, crisis of affordability. We have never heard him talk about people need to earn more money. No. We just need to be better in this state. Nope. Nope. He's never said that. He's No, and actually, we've had a huge number of people move here in the last couple of years. You know, I would that actually was something that amazed me that that didn't make it into the speech like not even a like yeah i've been worried about demographics he could have even made it sound like he was the hero there and he totally sidestepped that part of the conversation and i think part of that is he's really like you know in this last year or two as he's getting sort of fiercer and more partisan he's really leaning into his nativist tendencies you know, mm-hmm. the last state of the state, he really made this big division between like Burlington and the rest of us. Yep. And in this one, I think sort of welcoming, celebrating new people moving to Vermont, I think maybe like for some of the more nativist base that, you know, even for me, right? Like mm-hmm. I am a flatlander and sometimes I'm like, oh my God, like Vermont country deli, like get out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I plan my route around you know when i know the vermont country deli is going to be busy it's like how can i avoid that part of western avenue and i will drive all over yes but that's because i'm afraid of i will i mean i go in there and i buy coffee and sandwiches sometimes like i'm not it's just you know i understand the impulse to like not be colonized here Mm -hmm. we've talked about that so much yeah i just yeah i was really worried when he started talking about the bucal vermont that he would go to a very, uh, as you said, nativist place. I, I think he did skirt that. I think he stayed away from that. He always just skirts everything in mm-hmm. all of these speeches. You know, the thing that sometimes annoys me when I hear Scott talk about partisan politics is I feel our state house is, is very functional. I think that Profoundly. is more, more than just because there's a supermajority. I feel very lucky that we have Democrats, progressives and Republicans all working on policy because I I just always feel that the more people come to the table with different ideas, the better the policy will be at the end, even if it's got to be hashed out a bit. And I, it just bothers me that he doesn't acknowledge that, that how functional the legislature is and how lucky we are to have three parties. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because, you know, he was a legislator and it is something that legislators pride themselves on. And it's when I first came in, it was something that was really drilled into me as a very important value. It's like the civility, the formality and the like real congeniality sort of across parties and how much we do like in the committee room, we really do collaborate deeply across party lines. I also think that this sort of impulse in Vermont that like it's great that the legislature and the governor cancel each other out because no one will go too far Mm. is not helpful. I think that's counterproductive because I think it means we never actually get to like test out what's possible. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so if we cancel each other out, like we have problems we need to solve. Mm -hmm. It makes the chances of us solving those problems much harder. So I think in the committee process, it's deeply collaborative decision-making. I think on like the division of powers mm-hmm. between the administration and the legislature, we're actually just canceling each other out and it's not mm-hmm. helpful. 
but it doesn't have to be that way just because no it doesn't have to be that way at all if his if his cabinet would actually come to the table early in the legislative session to mm -hmm. really work through issues yeah and, and i will say the tax department does but that oh, is good. very unusual good mm -hmm. well it's it's a shame because i have heard you say similar things for many years in a row emily between... it's actually getting worse every year oh joy well that is a shame because the legislature doesn't have a lot of time to get things done in a session. And so we need all boats rowing in the same direction. Me too. Yeah. yeah. So we literally have like two minutes left. Anything you want to leave people with? I just, you know, again, that piece of Vermont that's about people showing up and participating and having tough conversations and town meeting culture and all of that, like, I'm still all in. If you're interested in any of this stuff, like come to a community meeting on a Saturday at the library, like reach out, call into the happy hour, like whatever it is. But, you know, if we said something that you disagree with or agree with or just have questions about, like we're all here for the conversation. Yep. The Montpelier happy hour at gmail.com comes right to us. So it's a great way to get a hold of us. Well, thank you, Emily. Good luck with the rest of the session. I want to take a quick moment and just acknowledge many folks down in the Brattleboro area are feeling the loss of Carlos, the ox, this week. So I just wanted to acknowledge the passing of Carlos after, what, 19 years of being at the mm -hmm. retreat farm. So rest in peace, big guy. And Emily, if folks need to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Folks can go to emilycornheiser.org and you'll find links to all the ways to get in touch with me. And as always, the Montpelier Happy Hour is on WVW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station, every Friday at 2 and rebroadcast Wednesday mornings. You can also subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts if you want uh, the downloads as soon as I finish editing them. And... Hey, everybody. Happy 2024. Happy 2024, Emily. Happy 2024.